Hi everybody, welcome to FNS Wrestling Podcast. Episode 87A is, I believe, what we're going to be calling this brief episode here. Uh, I am your host, back in the basement to talk about some more wrestling. Conspicuous by his absence at this point in the show is my co-host and teenage son, Jack. So there's been a change of plans this week. Suffice it to say that it has been a very hectic week in the FNS wrestling household. So we are sort of doing a little bit of a change this weekend. Um, Situations beyond our control, a few contributing factors have led us to not be able to record our regular full-length weekly podcast today. But because I am an avid podcast listener myself, and I really appreciate the podcast that sort of um, set and stick to a day of the week that they're going to release their content, I was determined to get down here and release something on this Saturday of our 87th week of doing this podcast, so that anyone that, I know there's not many fans of our show out there at this point, but I know there's a few loyal ones that might be looking for something to listen to on a Saturday, so I thought I would come down here and do sort of like a little bonus solo mission. I'm not going to get into too many details about what's going on in our household. I figure I will wait. The plan is for Jack and I to sit down tomorrow, that would be Sunday, to talk about what we always do. So we'll be back down here. The plan is to be talking about AEW Dynamite and NXT and some trivia and some news and an update from the world of figures and all that good stuff that you're used to hearing on our flagship show, as we like to call it. Um, But I think I'll save the details for the banter section of that. It'll be a little bit more interesting if Jack's here to add his two cents into what our week has been like. In theory, it was our March break, so a week of holiday for all of us, but it did not end up going the way we planned. But however, we'll get into that tomorrow. So today, what I thought I would do, just so that there was something um, published and out there on a Saturday, because that's just the way I am. I just don't want to miss a Saturday. If we have any loyal listeners, I really like to sort of reward them and keep putting things out on the day they're expecting things. So what I'm doing is I'm going to pluck something from the Any Other Wrestling Business segment that I would talk about regularly and will talk about tomorrow. So at first I thought I would cover NXT in this little bonus solo mission, but Jack did not want me to because he enjoys me not enjoying NXT because he doesn't watch it anymore. So he kind of gets a laugh out of me struggling through it and being negative in my reviews of it generally as it's a pretty poor product right now. So he wanted to be here for that. So instead I thought this week I would talk about what would that be, the March 17th? edition of uh, Impact Wrestling. So we're going to take a look at that. I have been um, keeping up with Impact. I wouldn't say I've watched it every week, but I don't miss too many weeks. The odd week here or there I might miss, but I'm pretty caught up on it. And I did watch it this week, so I thought that I would take this opportunity to come down. I'm hoping to pull about, I don't know, a half hour, 40 minutes um, of a solo mission here talking about what I actually thought was a pretty enjoyable episode of Impact Wrestling, um, including a couple things that I would actually recommend to people go in and watch, because I know a, a bunch of people, well, I, I don't know, I, I assume some people listen to this without having watched some of the things, which is why we do a bit of recapping of the matches and stuff, because I myself will listen to Raw reviews and SmackDown reviews from other podcasts, and I have, trust me, no intention of watching Raw or SmackDown, but I do like to keep caught up. So I do sort of listen to that. So, um, yeah, what was the point of that? Oh, that there were things on this episode of Impact that I would actually recommend that if you're not an Impact viewer, you can go out and find and sort of check out on your own because there was a couple things on this show I thought were, were worth tracking down. Uh, but anyways, that's going to, I think, wrap up the banter. It's a lot harder to banter by yourself than with your 
um, son sitting across this table from you, but we'll get back to that tomorrow, as I said. But at this point, I think it's time that we just move straight into this solo mission review of the March 17th edition of Impact Wrestling. And right off the bat, I would like to apologize if my voice sounds a little bit off. Uh, that will be part of the explanation that is coming tomorrow when Jack and I uh, take the time to get down here and chat. But just, I am aware it may not sound as it does normally. Hopefully it's not too annoying or offensive or obnoxious. Maybe you always find it that way anyways. That's quite possible. I'm sure there's people that do. But um, I'm going to do my best here. You may, I may pause to take the odd sip of a liquid or something to try and improve the sound but hopefully it sounds okay i'm sure it's not going to sound as my normal voice does but anyways let's uh, fire this up so impact this week starts with a recap of last week's show which um a lot of it seemed to be in i don't think i saw last week to be honest um but basically moose has the contract um that he needs to sign to face josh alexander at the next pay-per-view i apologize i forget all of impact's generic pay-per-view names they all just kind of blend together so at some point in my notes, it may come up which one it is. I don't remember off the top of my head right now. But Moose has the contract. Um, I believe Alexander has signed it. Moose needs to sign it sort of thing. There's a deadline as to when he needs to sign it. And that will come into play during this episode. So it starts out with just a, you know, a recap package of last week. And then the opening match, which um, I was looking forward to once I saw it was coming, is Motor City Machine Gun. So that's Chris Sabin and Alex Shelley sort of reuniting. It's been a while. Saban's been around a ton. Shelley has not. I don't know where he's been. I should have found out for Jack. My son Jack is a big fan of Alex Shelley, so he'll, he'll be glad to see that he's back. Not that he's watching Impact, but to know that Alex Shelley is alive and well and back to wrestling. Maybe he was the whole time. I shouldn't imply that he wasn't. I don't know what he was doing. Probably wrestling somewhere. But anyways, it is the Motor City Machine Guns taking on Bullet Club, and it would be my favorite combination of Bullet Club members in this case, and that is Chris Bay and Jay White. So I think coming into this should be a really good match. I really was a fan of Motor City Machine Guns back in the day with TNA wrestling. Um, I tell my son at some point we should go back and look at the, I'm pretty sure it was a best of five series that um, Machine Guns had with Beer Money, which was James Storm and Bobby Roode. Um, I remember loving every single one of those matches. Um, I, I mean, it'd be interesting to go back and see if they hold up because in my memory, I love that whole feud. Um, I imagine it went to the fifth match. I don't actually remember. I just remember thinking amazing feud, a super lengthy tag team feud, which is not super common. And I remember really enjoying every one of those matches. So it, that might be something we could go back and look at as a bonus episode even, or just talk about at some point, because I have recommended that Jack, uh, check it out because it was really good. But anyways. Let's talk about this match and not ones from whatever 15, 20 years ago. So it's Alex Shelley and Jay White. They start out exchanging chops. White then has to escape the ring as both of the uh, Motor City Machine Guns get involved here and start their double teaming offense, which they're great at. So White does the smart heel thing, escapes the ring, tags Chris Bay in when he does return. Then we get a really nice sequence between Sabin and Bay before there's a blind tag from Alex Shelley and that leads to the Machine Guns sort of taking control here near the beginning. We get stereo submissions applied by the machine guns in the ring. Um, then things kind of break down. There's action on the outside. Leads to a suicide dive by Sabin. Bay is left all alone, but White conveniently shows up just in time to stop a doomsday device um, from the machine guns and the bullet club then take over off of that sort of involvement. Bay hits a huge flip over the ropes to the floor. 
We get a standing moonsault by Bay, but he misses a top rope stomp and gets driven into the turnbuckles. So Sabin's back in now and he is dominating, and then we end up with all four in the ring for some classic Motor City Machine Gun double teaming, including the hesitation drop kick by Sabin in the corner and all of the standard stuff leading up to that. It was really nice to see, just from my point of view, for nostalgia, because it is part of what I thought they were so great because they're so fast, they work so well together, they have varied double team maneuvers. And I mean, it was just a smaller team that was getting respect in a major company at that time, which is not always the case. A, WWE hates tag teams. B, WWE has no use for small people, despite how incredibly talented they could be. So it was really nice to see them um, back in the day and doing it here. Uh, we get a satellite DDT from Sabin for a near fall, and then a torture rack into a neckbreaker by Chris Bay for two that I think always looks good. Uh, White hits a really nasty-looking snap suplex to Sabin right into the corner turnbuckles that looked good. Things break down kind of one last time, leading to the finish here. The machine guns land a kick, leading to a simultaneous flatliner and DDT to the Bullet Club. Just another one of machine guns double team sort of sprees here. Um, near the end, or I guess rolling into the finish here, Jay White gets cleared out of the ring. The machine guns hit their splash neckbreaker combo, and they pin Chris Bay. As Jay White dives in to break up the count, and it looked really close whether he did break it up or not, there could be a little bit of debate there, but the referee does count the pinfall, so the Motor City Machine Guns win this opening contest in about 13 minutes. So my thoughts on this, a really, really good match, really fast, back and forth. All four men in this are really talented. I'm a, I'm a fan of each of them, and everyone got a chance to look good here. There was nothing slow. The pace was great. The machine guns looked really good together, like they haven't really missed a beat. Another thing I liked that sort of plagues matches in general, and especially Bullet Club, there was no interference. There was no, I was almost expecting a ton of interference. This was just these four guys wrestling, and the Motor City machine guns picked up a quote-unquote clean victory. We'll see that there is a little bit of debate as to whether the pinfall was broken up in time or not. But overall, an excellent start to the show. And this is one of the matches that I would recommend people go and check out. This is a, an excellent television tag team match, a really strong start to the show. So I'm in a pretty good mood after one match on this uh, episode of Impact. So let's see what happens next. After a commercial break, commentary, uh, replay, and talk about the finish to that opening match with White almost diving in to break the count. So it looks like that's going to be something that's used going forward. And listen. If stuff like that means you're not going to have interference and several distractions and stuff, totally fine with that. I would rather have the participants in the match wrestle and figure things out. And if you want to cast a little bit of doubt, I feel like this is a better way of doing it than having multiple um, instances of interference and distraction and whatnot that seems to plague a lot of wrestling right now. So the next match we roll into is one of my favorites in Impact right now. Steve Macklin, if you've listened to me talk about Impact, I have been very impressed with Macklin. I did not have high expectations when he arrived based on what I'd seen from him in WWE. But the way he has performed and been presented in Impact, I think, has been really good. Um, so taking on Rhino, who's not my favorite, I, I think Rhino has seen better days and I'm, I've seen enough of Rhino. Uh, again, a lot of this is I'm a 30-plus year wrestling fan, right? So I have seen enough of certain people that'll come up when I talk about the Hardy Boys probably tomorrow. Certain performers, I've just seen enough of them, right? I'm ready for some fresh blood. But that being said, Rhino is taking on Macklin in this match. 
It appears that Macklin is back to being a loner after dabbling in um, joining the Impact group that was going to take on Honor No More. So I prefer him as the loner sort of character, so I'm happy with that. It just seems kind of sudden and transparent that they were just throwing a group together to take on Honor No More and then sort of maybe not the best plan because now he's just back to being by himself, but whatever, it's fine. So we find out that Anthony Corelli, FKA, or best known as probably Santino Morella, has joined commentary for this match. And the match starts out as a slugfest in the beginning for sure. And then a shoulder tackle from Rhino gives him the advantage near the beginning here. Macklin eventually snaps Rhino's neck across the rope to take the advantage from Rhino. We get elbows and knees to Rhino's lower back for a little bit. Rhino tries to fire up here somewhere near the middle, but Macklin hits him with a DDT to slow him down again. We get a misdiving headbutt by Macklin. Both men are down. Corner spears and a clothesline by Rhino. A pretty sudden belly-to-belly, -belly, or sorry, belly-to-back suplex by Macklin for a two-count. Rhino counters um, and hits a vertical suplex, but a running knee and a spear, which they're referring to as a gore, I guess, because it's facing against Rhino, by Macklin, who picks up the win in just under 10 minutes. So it's one of those where he uses his opponent's finisher um, to put him away, and he did that in about 10 minutes. So I'm going to be honest, I, this is going to feel like a little bit of a love fest for Impact Wrestling, um, and that is not, if you're new to listening, I am not the normally overly positive. I try to be realistic in how I feel about stuff. I just tell you, if I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. I don't care what company it is. I have no um, preference. I mean, I end up liking a lot of AEW stuff, but that's just, it just appeals to me more. But I'm going to tell you, I enjoyed this match as well. Um, a completely different pace from the opener which was a sprint, and this was more of like a slugfest, but that is totally fine. Uh, some of the best shows have a variety in types of matches, right? So I have no issue with a very clear change of pace here. I think it's actually a good thing and works really well. I continue to be impressed by Macklin, even though he didn't hit his signature offense that I really like, the, um, the crosshairs, which is a running spear to his opponent hanging upside down in the corner, which I think looks awesome. His finisher, the Mayhem for All, I think looks really good. So he didn't hit either of those moves in this match, yet I thought he still looked really good. And just to talk about Rhino for a minute, because I am kind of tough on him sometimes. This is probably, I would say, about the perfect use of Rhino and other guys like him. And we're going to come to Larry D a bit later in the show, and I feel he fits that role too. That basically, you're on the downside of your career, I would suggest at this point. Um... So go out there, have a good match of about 10 minutes because you are a capable performer, performer. Get some of your stuff in, make yourself look good in spots, but in the end, make the other guy look good. And I think that's exactly what Rhino did here. Um, and I think every roster needs a person or multiple people in that role. So I think this is a great role for Rhino. And it's kind of funny because we're about, <laughs> as I go through this show, you're going to see that role is shifting for Rhino right after I praise him for playing that role well, the role is going to change. But anyways, for this moment in time anyways, I thought this was a really good match. Um, it got Macklin a win, as it should. Rhino didn't look bad at all. The two worked well together. A really good second match on this show. So two for two impact so far. Really nice. We then get Caleb with a K. He's being approached by the Inspiration. So I get confused in this feud because you have the Inspiration, which is formerly the Iconics from WWE, right? So. I forget their names even, Cassie and Jesse, I want to say, I think. But anyways, they're basically a very, very similar team to the Influence, which is Tennille Dashwood and, oh boy, 
uh, Madison Rain. And Caleb is accompanies the influence. My goodness, this is why is this so challenging for me to get through? But in the the most recent match at whatever pay-per-view this name, I can't remember, that they had Caleb slid the belt in. Um, now, possibly for inspiration, because there's been lead up to maybe he's going to turn on the influence and join the inspiration. So he slid the belt in, debatable that he was throwing it to the inspiration. It ended up in the hands of the influence who used it to win the match. So short story long here, sorry. Um, basically, the inspiration is letting Caleb know that they know he was trying to help them when he slid the title into the ring, and even though it ended up costing them the match. They say they forgive him, and they just want to make sure he gets it right next time. So basically, I think the point here is they're kind of being a little bit menacing or threatening by basically saying, you know, we forgive you, and you better had been helping trying to help us and not them, and that Maybe you're going to get another chance, or next time you better not screw up, or you better prove that you are with us, or whatever. So I guess it was them still being heels. I don't know. I, I struggle. The in-ring of the inspiration isn't great, so their matches I don't love. I usually find their character work to be pretty good and pretty interesting, but I don't know. This has been going on a while now. I can't say I really care too much. Not that this segment was bad. I, I'm just personally not invested in this feud at all. I don't really care where Caleb ends up. I do think the sliding of the belt into the ring and sort of not knowing who it was intended for, I think that's that's totally fine. I was going to say clever, maybe that's too strong a word, but I think that's definitely an approach you can take and I don't really have an issue with it. I'm just not super interested in in what Caleb's decision is. I don't it does not affect me one way or the other if he stays with the influence or leaves for the inspiration because they are essentially the same teams doing the same gimmick. So, um Six of one, half dozen of the other for Caleb, as they would say. So then we cut to Rhino. He looks like he's suffering backstage after the match he just lost to Macklin. So his good buddy Heath, formerly Heath Slater in WWE, comes up and they agree that doing things on their own hasn't been working. I, these guys were a tag team in the past and then sort of split up and violent by design stuff, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, um, they did swear to become tag team champions again and they sort of Heath is convincing Rhino here that they are in fact better together. So Rhino gets like really fired up here um, and says that he agrees they'll fulfill their fulfill their promise no matter who they have to beat. Um, so I guess the Heath singles run is over, which I for one am fine with because uh, he really doesn't interest me. A tag team with Rhino again doesn't move the needle at all for me either, but I just I don't see it in Heath. Um, this is not the nicest thing I'll ever say. I try not to be because I'm not a wrestler. I've never wrestled. They're all a thousand times better than me. However, I have a right to my opinion, I think. So Heath for me is one of those <laughs> fits into what I call almost a good wrestler. Um, like he almost has a look. He almost can cut promos. He's almost good in the ring. Um, all of these things, right? He's like 85% of a good wrestler but he's just not quite there, and I, I don't generally find him interesting, and he hasn't really been positioned in Impact. Like, sure, he just had a title shot, but it was one of those placeholder challenges where nobody actually believed he was going to win. So I, I'm not a huge fan of Heath and Rhino I've already spoken about, so I was just happy with Rhino's role as being a singles guy, sort of gatekeeper or a level above enhancement talent, just having good matches, giving opponents quality wins. And then they quickly pull the rug out from under that and put him back in a tag team that we've seen before and was not impressive the first time around. 
but whatever. That's fine, Impact. It's fine. So Brian Myers coming into this match, he gets his own little commentary table set up, and they don't really explain why. I think maybe they did, and I missed it. I think it's that he's there to recruit because, in theory, right, he has his little group of people that he trains. And anyways, um, so he's set there, and he's got some action figures that he's playing with. And this match is Larry D, who is back, um, formerly part of Triple XL Tag Team with the really big guy that I always forget, AC Romero, I want to say. But anyways, he's facing Bupinder Gujar, who is, um, I'm a little bit intrigued by him. I've only seen him once or twice so far, but I've been sort of a little bit impressed and just looking to see what's next for him and what impact is going to do with him. So they brought Larry D back for this singles match here. And getting into the match, the speed is showcased by Gujar early on, leading to a slingshot elbow drop. And then Raj Singh comes down, so he's been trying to align himself with Gujar, and Gujar wants nothing to do with him, so Singh playing like the heel who's trying to start a stable or something, um, and Gujar has no interest in joining him, and Singh's been sort of relentless in recruiting Gujar, so that's where we are. So Singh walks down the ramp, and obviously that's enough to distract poor Gujar for a minute, and that allows Larry to take control of the match with some clubbing blows. We get a discus clothesline by Larry for a two count after he blocks. Um, an attempt from Gujar. We get chops and strikes by Larry until a sling blade by Gujar, who then fires up and in an impressive sequence here hits a backbreaker, a ripcord knee, and a huge Samoan drop on a very large man um, in what I thought looked like it was a pretty impressive little sequence there. Larry ends up coming back with a flurry of his own, stomps the back of Gujar's head. They both head up top. Larry gets shoved off the top but stays on his feet. He turns around right into a diving spear from the second rope by Gujar. And Gujar picks up the win in this match. I did not make note of the time. I apologize. It was not super long. I would guess it was between 5 and 10 minutes if I had to guess. But anyways, Morrissey storms down to the ring to confront Brian Myers um, from his scouting position at ringside there. And then Singh is in the ring, kind of raising Gujar's hand, trying to act like, again, he's affiliated with Gujar. Gujar shoves him to the mat, that being Singh. And then, long story short, Morrissey ends up powerbong powerbombing Singh through the table that's set up at ringside, and the commentary team let us know that the beatings will continue until Morrissey gets his hands on Brian Myers. So yet another match on this Impact show that I was totally fine with and would say that I probably enjoyed. I think it was a decent return for Larry. He got a lot of offense in, actually maybe a little bit more than I expected him to, but that's fine. Um, and Gujar looked impressive, especially during that one little flurry. So I still think this kid, I don't know, young man, whatever he is, has a lot of potential. And I, I'm kind of interested in him still and look forward to seeing more. And I think Larry can fill a role similar to what I was talking about with Rhino. Um, it's pretty much what he did here, right? Come in, work a good match, keep a good pace, get some of your stuff in, and ultimately make your opponent look good. Um... Then regarding the aftermath with Morrissey coming down, I thought that was totally fine way of furthering the Morrissey-Myers angle, right? It's a simple way of furthering that. You give the fans kind of a heel being put through a table by a giant monster, which they seem to enjoy. So I thought it was kind of a smart way to incorporate Morrissey and Myers in there as well without having really either of them speak or take up a whole bunch of time. They, they pushed that story a bit further and gave the fans a, a table spot. So nothing wrong with that, I don't think. So next we're backstage and good old Canadian boy Mike Bailey is being approached by Ace Austin. Austin 
is sort of reminding us that, and again, the details are sketchy here because it's my own fault when they put up like the graphics for here's what's next week and here's what's for our pay-per-view. Those are the things I skip, so maybe I shouldn't, but whatever, I do deal with it, people. Um, so Austin reminds us that he has qualified for, I think it's a multi-man X Division match. It might be an Ultimate X. Again, I'm not sure I skip those previews when they, when they pop up on the show. But anyways, Austin says, because he's just a good guy, right, that he'll be fine if Mike Bailey wins his qualifier. And Austin suggests basically that Bailey's success in Impact comes from following uh, Ace Austin's advice. Bailey ends the segment by implying that he will win the title match b- before he sort of walks out of the room, and Austin obviously doesn't like that comment. Um, so I think Ace Austin's get gotten more comfortable as like the slimy heel. I thought his tone was really good here, like kind of the, you know, I'm just a nice guy and I'm going to be totally happy if you advance to this match that I'm in, and and then Bailey, of course, implying that he'll be the one to not only be in the match but win it doesn't sit well with Aries. So that Aries? No, sorry. Ace Austin. Went Austin Aries there. Ooh, big mistake. Don't mean to compare you to him, Ace Austin. Sorry. Um, so I think Austin was being like complimentary but easily transparent. I thought it played pretty well. And Mike Bailey, I can't decide. His delivery is just so strange that I'm not quite sure what to think. Like, it, there's a chance it's bad for sure. Um, it could be just really campy, like he's just overdoing it for some reason, um, or it could be interesting, or it could be brilliant. I really don't know at this point. Um, I've seen him wrestle a bunch, but I've never really seen him cut many promos, so uh, the jury's still out for me. At this point, I'm fine with it, and, and we'll just see going forward um, how much I like his promo style. And next, it's Honor No More's turn to speak. Very quick recap of this, because I didn't care that much. They kind of a few of them take turns cutting a promo on Josh Alexander. I know um, Kenny King spoke and um, Taven spoke and maybe Bennett. I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter. Basically, Josh should sleep with one eye open. Um, they say they came to Impact without permission and took what they wanted. And they're going to continue to do so. And then good old Alicia shows up. Because her husband in real life and on the show is Eddie Edwards. And Eddie Edwards has joined the Honor No More faction as he has some deep roots with Ring of Honor as well. So Alicia has chosen um, Impact, apparently. So she shows up, says that Taven won't beat Josh Alexander tonight, and that Josh fights for something, and he's the one that brought the title back to Impact Wrestling from Omega, I believe, right? So the rest of Honor No More leave, and it's Alicia and Eddie alone. Alicia talks about the fact that she has chosen Impact Wrestling, but that she still has hope for Eddie Edwards and that he'll realize what he's doing isn't the right way to go and that he's taken the wrong path. And Eddie sort of ends the segment by saying that it is Impact that has taken the wrong path. So Honor Honor No More really don't do much for me. I thought they were cool for a minute, but the novelty kind of wore off and now they're just like a mid-card faction, right? Like I don't see any of the members of this group being a top-tier talent in impact at this point um so they've settled in at this mid-card faction spot and they should lose in any feud with alexander no matter who is the main because alexander is a main eventer so to me it doesn't matter which member of honor no more tonight it's taven so i don't think any of them should beat alexander at this point and i don't again i don't want to be mean i'm also not an actor but alicia is still in my opinion shockingly bad at acting after all of these years and for whatever reason, 
she must be a lovely person and really well liked and that's totally fine because she gets a ton of tv time like the talent to tv time ratio she has the whatever that would be the largest ratio um because i find she's not good in the ring she's really bad in promos and on the mic but she gets on tv i would suggest the most of pretty much any knockout maybe not as much as perrazzo or mickey james lately but other than that she's on a lot and unfortunately again not trying to be mean she kind of takes me out of almost any segment especially when she's trying to be serious like this if she's doing a comedy sort of bit like wrestle house or something her delivery i mean i can kind of find it comical at times but when she's trying to deliver serious content like this segment it pretty much takes me out of it so i can't say that i was a big fan of this segment then next we go back to the ring for some action in the uh diana perrazzo's champ champ challenge she is a dual champion um, she is defending either one of the belts in these open challenges sort of thing. So this week, it's a triple threat. It's Giselle Shaw, who's kind of a newcomer to Impact Wrestling, who I've been kind of impressed with and curious about to see more. And Lady Frost, who's also fairly new to Impact. I've seen her a bunch on the indies before. Um, she is like a high-flying former gymnast acrobat or whatever, so she can do some impressive stuff. And then obviously Diana Perrazzo, who I would consider one of the best women wrestlers in the world, possibly bar none. I mean, I'm not up on stardom. I try to check in with it now and then. Um, so I'm sure there'll be people who are much more into women's wrestling who will correct me on that. But from what I watch and maybe limiting it to North American, I would consider her a top, top tier talent. But anyway, so this is a triple threat for, I don't know which one of the titles she has. doesn't really matter because spoiler alert, they're not changing hands anyways. So we get near falls aplenty to start this as they're each kind of um, rolling each other up and going for various pinfalls. Lady Frost eventually gets kicked down to the floor, leaving the other two. So we get a head scissor takedown by Shaw. Um, Frost does make her way back, hits a high cross body. Perrazzo takes herself out on the ring post, sort of spears herself and ends up falling to the floor with an injured shoulder, I guess. And then Shaw pretty badly botches some sort of move in the middle of the ring. I think my best guess is never good when I have to give just a best guess. My best guess is it was a Spanish fly attempt, which a standing Spanish fly would be pretty impressive, but this was definitely not. But anyways, it's fine. We do get a standing moonsault to both opponents by Perrazzo. I can't. I'm sure I've seen her do a moonsault before because I've seen a million of her matches, but I was still impressed. My memory obviously is not great, but um, I was a bit surprised by it. It looked good. We then get an arm bar by Perrazzo to Shaw, and then Frost, as this is happening, puts a knee bar on Perrazzo. We get a suplex, suplex and a splash by Shaw to Lady Frost, and then Lady Frost a bit later hits like a, a tumbling routine into a cannonball to Shaw, who's sitting in the corner. Looked pretty cool. Perrazzo German suplexes both of them at the same time. That looked good. Um, we get a superplex by Lady Frost to Perrazzo. We get a Shaw super kick to Lady Frost for a near fall. And then uh, the finish comes. We get a spinning kick to Shaw. Frost goes up top, hits a blockbuster, but Perrazzo runs in, hits Frost with the Queen's Gambit, which is like um, a gotch pile driver, I would say. Um, and so Perrazzo kind of picks up the win here. And I have to say, man, I don't know what's going on with Impact this week. I really enjoyed this match as well. Um, obviously, Shaw, forget her first name, Giselle isn't perfect like she had a pretty glaring botch in the middle of this match but i think she has a lot of potential for sure both in ring and a promo character wise i've been quite happy i and that's it's not really fair because i'm 
quite happy because I'm assuming she doesn't have a ton of experience. I haven't really looked it up. So if it turns out she's like a 10-year veteran, then I might be less impressed. But I feel like she doesn't have that much experience. So I've been pretty impressed with her. I thought Perrazzo looked great for parts of this match. And I, the way she won, I thought, was really smart and fits her. She kind of sneaks in, hits her finisher, pins one of them, and moves on. Um, and I thought Lady Frost was a great third for this because she's kind of different from the other two. She's your lightning quick kind of high flyer risk taker. And I thought she added a lot to this match as well. Like, I don't think this was a masterpiece of a triple threat. But on TV, in the middle of an episode of Impact, I thought this was really good. I'm pleased to say that. We then get Gia. She's backstage. She's talking to Josh Alexander about uh, facing Honor No More. Alexander says that he will make an example of Taven tonight and that Honor No More will want nothing more to do with Josh Alexander after that, which is good because then he can focus on Moose and his title shot. He said he's already signed the contract. Moose still has to sign it, but Scott Demore has given Moose until the end of this show, and he expects Moose to try and do it in the most dramatic way possible, which I would say. Once we get to that final scene, Alexander was pretty right about that. Um, so, first of all, Gia Miller, I think, is great. She, is, um, she doesn't get a ton of credit anywhere, but I think she's my favorite backstage interviewer. She does her job really well. She doesn't make it about her. Her reactions and facial expressions are appropriate. I think she's really good. But anyways, um, so I wish the build to this Moose-Alexander match were a bit stronger. But regardless, I really do hope that this is Josh Alexander's time to run with the title. Like, yes, he technically had the title for seven seconds or whatever it was before Moose um, took it back. And then they've sort of taken a circuitous route to get back to this match. But um, I think it's Josh Alexander's time. Moose has, not that Moose has done a bad job with the championship, and he's definitely going to have more opportunities, I think, as long as he stays with Impact. He's going to be at or near that main event, I'm pretty sure. But I think Alexander, well, I know, in my opinion at least, Alexander deserves a run. He's impressed me with his character work during the previous build with Moose. Um, I didn't think he was quite capable of doing that as well as he did. He's one of the best in the ring in that company, maybe in North America, maybe the world, depending. I think he's fantastic. So a title run for Josh Alexander is what I want, and that's what I'm hoping we get out of this. So just when I was cruising through this show, enjoying pretty much everything, we got a sneak of Good Brothers in here. Um, the Good Brothers want a rematch against Violent by Design, and Scott Demore is going to let uh, them have it next week. But Demore decided to come and talk to them face-to-face -face because the tag team division, as he tells us, is popping right now in Impact. So they're going to do a Lumberjack match with all of the other tag teams in Impact being the Lumberjacks. So he kind of phrases this in a way that the Good Brothers believe these other teams are just coming down to ringside to watch and of course they're all like yeah these teams you know they could stand to learn something by being close and watching us and then hey springs it on them but they're lumberjacks and oh my goodness isn't that shocking um and then he just sort of tacks on here like i barely caught it demore that is that there's going to be an eight team elimination tournament um at rebellion so okay as as long as good brothers don't win i am uh, interested in a I, I'm a sucker for a tournament right so if you want to do a tag team tournament that's fine the tag team division needs something happening in impact um, off the top of my head I'm trying to think of eight teams and I can't I'm sure that's just me but I'll be interested to see who's in it I just need to move on from the good brothers I need impact and everybody else to move on from the good brothers 
specifically Gallows, Anderson, whatever, you're fine. But I just, I struggle watching Gallows wrestle. I struggle watching him in promos. Just not a fan, shall we say. But if you listen to this podcast at all, you know that already. We then move into our first squash of the night. And that is going to be Jonah taking on Zicky Dice. So we're shown footage of Jonah pile driving PCO on the steps at the last pay-per-view, which I think is Sacrifice. Um, and basically, this is a squash tsunami from Jonah. He pins Zicky Dice in less than a minute. And then in the most cartoonish, almost NXT-ish segment on this episode of Impact, PCO is wheeled out by a couple, I don't know, medical professionals, whatever, on a gurney and left on the stage at the top. And the other people leave. And of course, he sits up. And Jonah has to, unfortunately, look shocked by this. So PCO gets up, heads to the ring in a neck brace, tears the neck brace off, and these two monsters start to brawl. Security run in to stop them, but they're just too damn big, obviously. So they do the pull apart. They get together, fight some more, and get pulled apart again. And then we get a nice crowd of security people standing at ringside. So PCO, of course, jumps off the ropes, flips onto that crowd as Jonah sort of backs up the ramp in shock at this. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So it was a standard squash match. And then, a, well, not even. It was like one move, basically. But anyways, and then just a cartoonish segment with PCO being wheeled out here. Like, he's been on a gurney since the past weekend. Um, he's traveled to the arena on this gurney. He brought medical professionals to, like, just the whole thing is, if you try and look at it seriously, it's ridiculous. I thought it, it was awful. I think it makes Jonah look really bad because he has to, like, sell the shock and horror at PCO sort of being reanimated or whatever the gimmick they're going with is. Um, this is a feud I have no interest in. Again, no offense, PCO. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've seen enough of him in my lifetime. Um they could move on to something else here. So this was one of the really weak spots in this show, I thought at least. We then move on to footage of Tasha Steeles attacking Mickey James at a concert. And Mickey is now talking to Gia about it. So basically, obviously, Mickey's super big mad about this. So she's going to make this rematch with Tasha a street fight. I guess it's kind of like NXT where it's catching on that you can just book your matches and make your own stipulations without consulting anybody else. But anyways, I digress from that extreme annoyance of mine. Um, Mickey says that Tasha has crossed a line. She needs an ass whooping. Chelsea Green is with Mickey James here and is, is Mickey James friend, quote unquote. So she points out that because it's a street fight, of course, Tasha Steeles will be bringing Savannah Evans to help out. So Mickey James should be bringing Chelsea because Chelsea is always wanting to come with Mickey and Mickey is always wanting to do things on her own. So James says that she's worried about Green's broken arm, which is a bit weak because Green has already wrestled with this broken arm last week. So I'm not sure how standing around and supporting somebody wrestling is riskier than actually wrestling, but that is Mickey James' logic here. So she, that being Mickey James, says that she will go it alone against Tasha Steeles. So to me, this feels like Chelsea Green's going to show up anyways. She's going to turn on Mickey James, um, which is probably going to allow Tasha Steeles to keep the title. It looks like Green is slowly sort of turning back to her hot mess character. Um, so I just think she's being tired of being like big sistered by Mickey James, who kind of won't let her do anything and won't let her help out. So I just being a 
many decade wrestling fan, this looks like what they're sort of leading up to here. I'd be surprised if they're not, but I definitely could be wrong. So we'll see, I guess, where this goes in the future. I can't say I'm super interested in it. Um, I do like that they put the belt on Tasha Steele, something new. Her character work is really good. A lot of times her in-ring work is good. Not a huge Chelsea Green fan. Um, so I don't know. We'll see where they're going to go with this, I guess. We then move on to our next squash of the night. And that's Masha Slamovich taking on Ari. And there's a handshake that Masha turns immediately into a nice, pretty high-looking Saido suplex that was cool. Ari then gets a few shots in before she takes a hard Irish whip, a spinning heel kick by Slamovich, and then quickly followed with an axe kick, and Slamovich just picks her up, hits the snowplow, her finisher. I forget what she's calling it, but anyways, it looks really good. And Masha Slamovich picks up another dominant win here. Just another squash for her. She looks like a killer. I, I feel like she could move up a tier now in competition. She's solely been squashing jobbers at this point. And to bring up somebody I already talked about this episode, this feels like a perfect time for her to face somebody like Alicia, especially if the plan is, and I can't tell for sure yet, but if the plan is for Masha Slamovich to be a heel, her just absolutely killing Alicia, I think, would generate some really good heat. Um, again, if she's being positioned as a heel, I, I honestly can't tell. She might be just being positioned as an ass-kicking babyface too at this point because she literally comes down wins every mash in a squash, and leaves. So at this point, I'm not sure, but I think she's great. I've seen her a little bit on the indies before this, not a lot. I've been super impressed. I think she's a great addition to Impact. I have no issues with the way they're presenting her, sort of Goldberging her at this point, Jade Cargilling her a little bit, and I, it's working for me, so I had no problem with this squash. So next we get uh, Gia again. This time she's talking to Zicky Dice. He is feeling rough and has lost some of his pride. He says that he has the look and the charisma, and he connects with the audience, but he has a hole in his game, and maybe it's that he just sucks as a wrestler. He wants to get some training somewhere, since working with Brian Myers didn't work out. Gia suggests, like, a wrestling school, and then Dice just kind of leaves. Um, so I do find Zicky Dice kind of interesting. He's just kind of different, right? And I think he's doing a decent job of this subtle comedy, and this is the only type of comedy I trust and really can tolerate from Impact. Once they lean into comedy, we end up with stuff like Russell House and Who Shot Johnny Swinger, which are just absolutely appalling stuff I, on television. I do know some people liked Russell House. I, I would challenge them as to, as to why and how, but um, I guess different strokes for different folks, as they say, I couldn't stand it. It was close to turn off the TV stuff for me. So. This kind of more subtle, lighter comedy, I think, is the best you can hope for on Impact. So I'm okay with it. And then it sort of bleeds into the next segment, too, because this is coincidentally, <clears throat> excuse me, Johnny Swinger promoting Swinger's Dungeon, where he's going to train the next generation of wrestlers. Um, there's a list of guest trainers scrolling across the screen. And then we get a little cameo from Lance Storm, who has been hired, I think, as production, or he's in some sort of um, role backstage with Impact. So they used him in this video here, um, but simply put him in as a to not endorse the school, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, so it seems like this is obviously where Zicky Dice will be training, right? We're going to get Swinger and Dice in some comedy stuff probably for several weeks here. Um, and if they don't go too far, it could be an okay comedy break in, in their two-hour episode. I'm trying to be optimistic because I have a long history of 
kind of detesting whenever Impact leans into comedy, but there's a chance here. Johnny Swinger does a great job in his role. It just needs to be in small doses for me, and then I'm fine with it. If you're going to put a 10-minute Wrestle House segment on there, I'm going to have a problem. But if you do a 90-second to 2-minute little thing each week, I probably won't even care that much. But we'll see what they do with it. That leads us to the main event, which is Honor No More's Matt Taven taking on Impact Wrestling's Josh Alexander here. Um, so Maria Kanellis comes down to join commentary. I didn't really notice her a lot, but again, I've said it before, when I'm taking detailed notes on stuff, commentary is kind of the, the first thing that sort of escapes. So I, maybe she said some things that mattered, but I, I didn't notice in the, in the process of watching and taking notes for this podcast. We get an early Josh Alexander shoulder tackle, and then Taven has to escape the ring to sort of regroup here. He, a cheap shot, I think it was going for a test of strength, and he kicks Alexander in the gut, but that gives Taven the advantage. He hits a vertical suplex. We get some rope running, and that leads to a drop kick from Taven. Uh, Alexander goes up top, but Taven meets him, pulls him down, so that Alexander's arm kind of snaps across the top rope. It actually looked pretty good. And from there, Taven takes control and starts to work Josh Alexander's injured arm. I believe it was the right arm, if I remember correctly. Taven, a little later, counters a discus forearm attempt into a nice flatliner with the transition into a submission that looked pretty good. Alexander takes over with two German suplexes before a twisting neckbreaker from Taven. I think um, the idea was Alexander was going to go for three, and Taven countered the third one, if I remember correctly. Alexander then gets his knees up on a Taven springboard moonsault, and both men are down momentarily here. Taven goes back after Alexander's arm, but Alexander counters with a Northern Lights suplex with a bridge for a two-count. Taven avoids the C4 spike, but takes a discus forearm instead from Alexander. We get an Insigiri and a Purple Thunder Bomb by Matt Taven. We get three more German suplexes by Josh Alexander. Taven then hits his just-the-tip knee strike to Alexander. Um, we sort of build towards the finish here with a standing strike exchange. A running cross body to the back of Taven, seated on the apron. After Taven fails to sort of skin the cat, Alexander catches him. It's one of Alexander's sort of becoming his signature spot where his opponent is sitting on the apron and he hits a cross body from inside the ring to outside the ring sort of thing to the opponent's back. We get a springboard kick to Alexander's face, but Alexander responds with an ankle lock and Taven earns a rope break before going back to Alexander's arm again. We get a superplex by Alexander. And he holds on and goes straight into the C4 spike, which always looks really good. And he picks up the decisive win here over Matt Taven in this main event. So I'm going to make a confession here before I analyze this match a little bit. I have a little bit of a blind spot for Matt Taven. Um, I find that he's capable of fine matches, but generally nothing he does really rises above that for me. He can wrestle, he can do moves. But I never find any really compelling storytelling from him. I mean, working Alexander's arm here was at least something. I don't really find a lot of drama in his matches. And at this point, I mean, it's probably my own bias. That's why I'm trying to identify it and share it with you. But I struggle to engage in Matt Taven matches generally, especially singles matches. He just feels like a guy to me who's there to kind of get his stuff in, like... I don't know why I have that feeling. It feels like it's more about him than his opponent when he's involved in a match. And I just, I don't love his work generally. But despite saying all that, 
I thought this was a really good main event for Impact match. Um, I don't think Taven was ever going to win, but this was a really strong back and forth match with both men getting tons of time to look good and hitting some cool looking offense. And I really appreciated again that the rest of Honor No More was nowhere to be seen for this. So both the Bullet Club and Honor No More just let people wrestler wrestle and have a straight up finish. And for me, that is super helpful in an era where even AEW, who I'm generally very positive about, one of the things that kind of bothers me is the amount of people running down and doing things either during or after matches, right? It just, it happens so often that it kind of becomes white noise to me and nothing seems special from the other. So I appreciate that this episode of Impact, two factions that generally do get involved in things, did not. So that was very helpful for me. Um... Off the top of my head, not to steal one of my son's gimmicks here, but this might be my favorite Taven match, um, singles match specifically, and maybe Josh Alexander deserves credit for that. Like, I hate to be the guy that's like, it was only good because the guy I liked is really good. Because um, I do love Josh Alexander, and I do think he probably elevated Taven somewhat, but Taven deserves some credit here too. Um, I thought the match worked all around. Uh, Alexander gets a convincing win against what I guess is considered a quality opponent ahead of his title match with Moose. Taven had a really excellent showing against an impact main eventer, right? Like this guy has recently held the title, though only for seconds, and he has another shot at the title upcoming. So this is a main event player that Taven had a really competitive match with, so I don't think it hurts him either. I just thought that this was an excellent TV main event for impact, as I said before. So um, you know, kudos to Matt Taven, who I generally do not enjoy, but I thought that this was a very enjoyable match. And like I said, I'm not here to, if I like something, I like it. I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to try and identify my bias, which I did with Matt Taven. And uh, despite that, I still really enjoyed this match. So the show is not quite over yet. That's our final match, but we've got one more segment because, of course, Moose still has to deal with the contract signing being done before the end of this episode. So we see him driving up to what we learn is Josh Alexander's house. He has the contract in his hand. Ominous music is sort of playing underneath. Somebody answers the door. It is Josh Alexander's wife, we learn. And Moose just kind of walks right into the entranceway uninvited. He wants to give Josh Alexander's wife the contract. Since it has to be in tonight, Anthem offices are already closed. She can turn it in first thing in the morning or whatever, which, I mean, is technically late. But anyways, I guess that's not the point of this segment, so we won't dwell on that too much. Alexander's son is here, right? So if you didn't see it, basically Alexander won the match um, from Omega to win the championship. And then Moose cashed in right then and there and basically, I think, just speared Alexander and pinned him right with his family in the ring to end his title reign in mere seconds. So Alexander's son is there for this. He's clinging to his mother's leg. It was great. Moose stoops down to talk to him and says basically that he's daddy's friend from work and to tell your dad Moose said hi. And then he just leaves and the show is over. So I honestly thought this was a very cool segment and a, and a cool way to end the show. We're circling back around to Josh Alexander's family who were in the ring when Moose did screw Alexander out of the title. It also helped solidify Moose as like just a deplorable heel. You're showing up at the man's house when you know he's not going to be there. Um, you're going to talk to his wife and kids who are probably already traumatized by you when they were in the ring with you already. Even the crouching down and speaking directly to the kid as he's clinging to his mom's leg was great. Um, it's going to raise the stakes even further for our babyface challenger. 
because now he has even more motivation to take out Moose. This awful man and his enemy has now been walked into his house and dealt with his family in his house while he wasn't there. So I thought everyone did a great job here. Um, Josh Alexander's wife didn't really have to say anything. Um, and Moose, the, the kid, the Alexander's son was great here. <laughs> Um, obviously all he was doing was hugging his mom's leg, but it looked awesome. It really drove home the point of this. And Moose was honestly really effectively quietly menacing. So I thought this was a very cool finish to the show leading into, um, the pay-per-view title match. So yeah, I thought that was a very cool, um, way to sort of sign off with this show. So overall, as I'm sure you can probably tell, I feel like I lucked out a little bit and chose to review a pretty strong episode of Impact this week. Um, I thought the show started with an excellent tag team match between Bullet Club and the Motor City Machine Guns, and then it was followed up by an enjoyable match between Rhino and Macklin that kind of over-delivered, frankly. I also enjoyed uh, the Gujar larry D match for what it was, and the Triple Threat Knockouts title match was very entertaining as well. We got a Masha Slamovich squash, a Jonah swash. Um, the Slamovich one I had no problem with, the Jonah one I thought the aftermath was a bit ridiculous, but... Um, and then the excellent main event. So in ring, I think this is one of the stronger episodes of Impact that I've seen in quite a while. Um, so the, the grade I'm going to give, it's going to be pretty good. But segment-wise, that's where things were kind of a mixed bag, right? I don't really care about Honor No More, so their promo didn't hit with me. Rhino and Heath being reunited is just kind of a whatever for me. The Swinger, Zicky Dice stuff is light comedy. The Good Brothers are a waste of time, and I never have any interest in them on my screen. Natasha Steele's attack of Mickey James at the concert was fine. And I thought Moose's final segment at Josh Alexander's house was very cool. The only thing that was really, really bad, because I'm about to say there was nothing awful here, I thought the PCO involvement was pretty awful. Him being wheeled in on the gurney and sitting up was just kind of, I've said it already a couple times, cartoonish and ridiculous. So that would be the one glaring problem with this show for me. But overall grade, largely based on the match quality, I'm giving this match a B plus or sorry, the show, a B plus. And again, I would actually recommend people check out the opening match with the Machine Guns and Bullet Club and the main event match. And I would have to say that it is exceedingly rare for me to recommend two matches from the same Impact episode. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, that's honestly how I feel generally. So I thought the pacing of this show was excellent. Um, there was lots of good stuff to watch with almost nothing being awful. And I'm kind of looking at you, NXT, because... Your show is filled with awful and awful pacing where you just, it's this mad sprint and nothing really makes sense or matters. So um, this one is, this impact was paced much better than any NXT recently. Um, so I would say, yeah, a solid B plus. If a couple segments were a bit more interesting to me, it'd be up in the A range. But again, go check out the main event. Check out the opening tag match. I think you'll be happy and impressed. Um, so yeah, I, overall, I'm very happy that I uh, chose to view and review this episode of Impact Wrestling. So that's going to bring us to the end of this solo mission. I would really love to hear some feedback. Are there any people that listen and enjoy the solo missions? It's a very different experience to come down here and talk about a show with nobody to sort of bounce your opinions and ideas off of. So I hope it flows okay. I hope it makes sense. I hope somebody out there is enjoying it. If you'd like to let me know, that'd be great. You could contact me at fnswrestling at gmail.com. We have Instagram, but that'll be checked by my son. But if you want to leave a comment there, FNS underscore wrestling underscore podcast on Instagram. Or if you're one of the few YouTube listeners, 
you can just post a comment there. I promise I'll get back to you. I appreciate any feedback, any listens, anything we get. But I think that's going to wrap it up for me on this solo mission. We're pushing close to an hour here. It's a lot of talking for me. But again, we the plan is we'll be back down here with the flagship show. We'll call it 87B, where we'll hit on all of the topics we hit on our weekly show every Saturday. So we're looking at some Dynamite review, NXT review, some trivia, some news, some updates from the world of wrestling figures, some banter between a father and son who love wrestling, and whatever else we get into. So stay tuned for that. Look for that at some point tomorrow. Thanks for any time you take out of your week to listen to myself or myself and my son talk about wrestling. We really do appreciate it, and I'm not just saying that. So anyways, I hope to see you all, plus more, back here for 87B tomorrow. And until then, take care. <laughs>